Hey. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast, I Totally Relate. I'm Rissy. And I'm Shelves. And we hope you guys can totally Totally relate. We are so excited to get started on our very first book club. Welcome to I Totally Relate Book Club. Oh, you want to know what? We should introduce who's here first. Yes, good idea. You guys know your favorite hosts, hostesses ever, Rissy. Shelbs. <laughs> okay, joining us today we have... Dawn. Aunt Dawn. Aunt Dawn, or my mom. Dalton. Or Dolly. <laughs> or La Dolly Mama. La Dolly Mama. <laughs> and? Lynette. Aunt Net. Mama's in the house. <laughs> yes. Okay, cool. So for the first month, we just got done reading What Happened to You by Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. So I'm sure everyone has heard of this book. Oprah is queen. So um, What Happened to You, Conversations on Trauma, Resilience, and Healing. Okay, so to get started. Yeah. uh, Well, maybe just like an overview of the book. So yeah. This this book talks about trauma mm-hmm. and the biology of the brain, how the brain works. Is that yeah. how you like? How would you describe the book? Well, I would say that it is studying of the brain and the biology of what's happening inside of you when external circumstances that are difficult show up in your life. Yes, and how it affects the physical, or how would you say that the. Like the makeup, the yeah. the biology of the brain. Yeah, the biology of the brain, yeah. for sure. How would you describe the book? Well, the one thing that I liked, and they said in the book, we're all out there in the world trying to maneuver through our lives, all while trying to deal with past traumas or past trouble. or. Mm-hmm. And so we just, my whole takeaway was everybody's been through something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's so funny because you've always said that. Everyone has a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that. That's what I thought the whole entire time. And honestly, I think the biggest word for me, I feel like as me as a reader reading this, is not necessarily like I've been through these traumatic things, but understanding others yeah, and empathy. Mm-hmm. And literally the question of what happened to you is the most important question that we should be asking. Mm-hmm. Just understanding your others, listening. Everyone has a story. Yeah. 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 I think that... We all have our own experiences, mm-hmm. and so our reaction is based on our experience. Yes. We could go to the same thing, mm-hmm. and all of us would have different takeaways. Yes. Because of what we experience. Yes. You know, I love that you say that because actually in the book, I was learning that sometimes our reactions aren't from the situation in front of us, but like of these other things. So, you know, you might not really be mad about the dishes, but it's triggering that deeper belief or that uncomfortable memory. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Your senses are totally embedded in your system. It can be the, your smell or yes. simple things such as that that trigger you yes. and you don't even realize it. Or yeah. visuals, like mm-hmm. Oprah talks about a visual in her past and just seeing that triggers her. You yeah. know, just 
just all these tiny, tiny things that you won't even realize are like so embedded in you. Yeah. Okay, so you said trigger, which is so funny because I used to kind of make fun of that word. Like, oh, I'm triggered and like thinking it wasn't any big deal, but learning it's actually like that triggers are a real thing and they can be so different. Like the story in the book where the little boy is smelling the deodorant of his yes. teacher. Yes. That was that was incredible to me because he couldn't cognitively say, Oh, your deodorant is bothering me because it reminds me of X. It was just his body was doing a... Um, it was reacting. Yeah, it was just reacting where it wasn't a, like a conscious thing. Well, explain to him what you're talking about, like what, what bothered him about his... Oh, yeah. Okay, so this young boy, Sam, had an abusive father, and he was um, put into a whole bunch of different foster homes and had finally gotten into more of a secure place and was going to the school and his teacher was kind of deemed like the fun teacher of the school like it was like the the teacher that everybody wants he had a but high success rate he had a high success rate there you go and sam the student was any progress that he had made in his mental health was deteriorating he was freaking out in class he had even like physically thrown a chair at the teacher um, just losing himself in these reactions and not able to pinpoint why. And Bruce Perry um, was his therapist and was the one who was mediating between his meetings with his father. So they would, like his father had to have um, supervised visits. And so Bruce was, the Dr. Bruce Perry was in the room and watching this scene happen with this child, Sam, and he can smell Old Spice on on the father. And it's like covering up, like you can tell he's just like put it on. He's, it's like trying to cover up the smell of alcohol. Yeah. And so then Dr. Bruce Perry is having a conversation with the teacher and he notices the smell. He's like, I just have to ask you, what type of deodorant yeah. do you wear? And it's Old Spice. And he said, I've got, sorry, go ahead, doll. No, I just think it's funny because he noticed the deodorant because that deodorant was sentimental to him. Yes. Oh, his yeah. memory. Yeah. The smell of Old Spice reminded him of his grandpa and fishing, and so he noticed the dad's deodorant. Otherwise, you don't necessarily notice things like that. Yeah. But yes. it was like something that, like, oh, I love that smell. Yeah. And then he puts two and two together. Yeah. Which is interesting because that brings back with what Aunt Nett said. Based on our experiences, we react differently, right? And so right. as Dr. Bruce Perry smells it, it reminds him of a lovely memory, mm -hmm. but he's witnessing Sam smell that, and it's reminding him of, like, an unsafe space. So same experience, different reaction. Yes. Yeah. But it was interesting, though, too, because then this therapist brings it back to the boy's teacher, and the teacher happily switches out his deodorant, and all of Sam's explosions in class dissipate. Yeah. I don't know. That that like was crazy to me because he's not like he's not looking at something and being like this is reminding me of a memory. It's just like his body starts closing up and you know getting mad was how he was able to get people away to give him the space that he needed. Yeah. And so and it was interesting to me, too, because in school, whenever someone was the problem child, they always got more punishment. Like, I always mm -hmm. watched kids, if they were throwing a tantrum, be escorted from class, from, like, yeah. the teacher or a principal would come in or something, and it was always, like, harsher. And yeah. I think 
for me, I learned to just stop doing whatever I was doing, right? Mm -hmm. But, like, for this little boy, Sam, that was how he made himself safe. And so it's, like, tough to me that you – well, I guess from reading this book, you realize that these young kids who are acting out in class or in these settings are probably going through some really deep things and we need to give them empathy, right? They say that the – Dr. Perry, he was like, if you ask the adult in most of those situations, or the teachers, because a lot of these scenarios are teachers, is they reacted for no reason at all. Yeah. So he's like, he threw a chair at me for no reason at all. Mm. Interesting. And so you're not seeing it, but we're not asking that question. And that always goes back to that question. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because from yours, you're looking at it and you're saying, I have no idea what just happened. Mm-hmm. But we're not looking at the child and saying, like, what? What's wrong? You know? Yeah. yeah. This story was one that probably hit me the hardest as I read this book because I grew up here in Utah. And if you know anything about Utah, you know that mountains are our thing. Mm-hmm. And each region of Utah has a very distinct mountain. So if you're up here, like in the northern Wasatch, they're very big and tall and majestic. If you get down more in central Utah, they're more of a rolling hill, um, more sagebrush. So, to me, I always remember my childhood, I think about the mountains. And so as I was growing up in San Pete County, there was not a lot of shopping or availability for resources. So we would come to Salt Lake three or four times a year. Well, my parents, my mom was very, as I've come to understand the last couple of years, I realized my mom was a very abusive person. She was very abusive to my father and she was verbally and physically. But when we'd get in a car, it become very verbal. And so I would try really hard to like withdraw from all the arguments, the name calling, mm. the hostility. And so I would just look out the window and I would watch the mountains as we'd go from South Pink County through Utah County up into Salt Lake County and they would change and the lights would change. And then on the way home it would get darker and darker and darker with less lights. And that's back when we didn't have iPhones or Sony Walkmans you just were a part of whatever was going on in the car. Right. You were essentially trapped or stuck in whatever that environment was. Yes, so I did a lot of looking out the window trying to escape what was going on. So then uh, after I got married, we moved away, and then several years later we ended up moving back to Utah. And the first thing I felt when I moved back to Utah is how much I hated the mountains. I didn't want to see them. Mm. I felt creeped out. I don't know a better word, but every single time... I would ever visit Utah, and then when we came back, I just, I could not look at the mountains. It would just give me the sickest feeling in my stomach. It would bring me right back to being in that abusive situation with my mom and having to watch my dad put up with it. And now I've created new memories of the mountains, and now it triggers peace. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. One of the things I really, really appreciated about the book was learning how the brain works, right? So we, our body is constantly gathering information for mm-hmm. us, right? So our, our sense of smell, our touch, we have all of these systems that are running through our body that are constantly gathering information. And then that information is going back through our body, through our nervous system, up through to get to our brain. It hits the very bottom part of the brain, right? So Yes. So... The very first part of your brain that receives this information 
to help you decide what to do with this information is your brainstem, which is like the most animalistic or like the lizard brain part, right? And so once that part of your brain decides like, okay, we're not in a threat, in a threatening situation, then it will continue to send that information up all the way until it can reach like the cortex and, you know, like the manager of your brain that can help you. That's where your beliefs, your values, where you're like decision making. Right. Well, he he calls it the most human part of our brain, like the most personality. So like, so Carissa is your frontal cortex. It is not your brainstem. Like the brainstem is your lizard. Yeah. And your personality is that top. And they, they do, he draws an upside down triangle. Yes. Right. And okay. Sorry. That was, that was so helpful to realize like, oh, so I'm constantly gathering information to decide, am I in a safe is that a familiar face or am I in a threat? Like, is this a threatening situation I need to protect myself? Once once we get, like, information and, you know, maybe it triggers, like, oh, I remember this smell. This is a scary smell. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's like, oh, I remember those mountains. This is, like, a very uncomfortable mm-hmm. uh, sight for me. Then, then your body decides, okay, how am I going to respond to this? And we have different ways to cope with these, what we would probably say like negative or like undesirable situations or behaviors right and so one of them mom you were talking about like that disassociation so you disassociate so sometimes people will fight or flight you know like you fight Mm -hmm. or you run away from the situation and if you can't do either of those things then you go into yourself yeah to help preserve yourself Mm -hmm. you your brain will send like more endorphins so that you know like let's say you were going to get beat right like okay so now my body has more of like that epinephrine, norepinephrine. So like when I get hit, it doesn't hurt as much. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not really actually consciously where I am. My brain has like gone inside of itself. And so I just felt like, wow, that was such an incredible way to learn how the brain works. And then realizing that these ideas that we think are like, oh, that's a negative behavior or, or I wish I didn't behave like that. Realizing that it is your brain doing the best that it can yes. and it's actually protecting you. And, and that's probably the thing you need in that moment. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And cause I remember Oprah saying like, oh, well, like, you know, how do we, how do we, how would we get this kid to stop, you know, disassociating? And Dr. Perry was like, well, he needed that, that saved him. Mm-hmm. And I just thought like, wow, what a different perspective to think that like, oh, instead of thinking, oh, I'm broken or, oh, I'm wrong. Realizing that like, oh, my body is actually doing what it's supposed to be doing to preserve me or to keep me safe or to make it so that I can like see another day and I thought like wow that was such a different perspective to have on these undesirable behaviors you know Mm -hmm. oh absolutely but I love that diagram that was really helpful the upside down triangle it was one of the most helpful things for me and he, he introduces that upside down triangle diagram as the brain development and your brain forms from the bottom Mm-hmm. And the most important things are like our needs, right? So our need of nutrition, our need of safety, our need of, you know, a baby cries because it's hungry or because its diaper needs changed or because it needs attention or yeah. soothing of some sort. And so I thought it was interesting with that brain development that it develops from the bottom down and then every interaction goes from the bottom up. So someone tells you, oh, you look really pretty today. It goes from the brainstem, and then it works its way up to the frontal cortex. 
And when you're in a hard situation, the blood stops flowing to the top of the brain and condenses all the way down to that brain stem. A lot of the brain development is done from the ages of zero to seven. And so we have adults that are working through these traumas, but they're coming and their beliefs were formed in that those really early years. And I thought that was interesting because there, a lot of people have said, oh, they're just children. They won't, like, people yeah. will be more prone to swear in front of a child or hit someone in front of a child and they blow it off as like, oh, they're, they're just kids. Yeah. They won't kids remember this. I think in the book they give the example of like a mother will stay in an abusive relationship mm-hmm. and say when the when the baby is old enough then I'll leave. Yeah. But actually those formative years are the most yeah. impressive. Yeah. yeah, in our in our lives and so Can I share something? Yeah. Oh, please, I love please. I love that you brought this up because this was the second most favorite part of the book for me. Oprah says In every single interaction, there's a moment when we all wonder, do you see me? Do you hear me? Children know from birth whether their caregivers' eyes light up when they enter the room. They sense response to tenderness, playfulness, compassion, and patience. They know the true feelings of quality time, and they know they are loved. I'm going to cry again. It's okay. (laughs) My little granddaughter listened to me, and when she sees her grandfather... She knows there's trust in him. And she goes to him first for everything outside of her mother because her grandfather has so much patience and love and kindness towards her. And I tend to be more like, let's get our toys picked up, like let's clean up. And he just sees her and her and the true love he has for her. And her reaction reflects the love that he shows her. Yeah. Yeah. This book is, is anybody else going to cry? No, it's, <laughs> this book was really heavy for me, like, as a, as a parent. Like, yes. The responsibility that you hold yes. with these children. Yes. It felt very heavy, and almost hearing these stories and sit, hearing these things of children are... He actually says in the book, children are not resilient, they're malleable. Yes. yes. And my heart broke. Like, I have these babies, and I have to take care of them, and all this is funneling through me. He talks about that babies and children, like, your body is always trying to regulate itself and be in a state of comfort and familiarity, and as adults, you do that for yourself. But babies and children, their regulation comes from their environment, from their caregivers, and... That's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's literally like, I don't know, like I felt almost like a heavy pressure, but like all of these moments are going into who they will be, what their reactions are, mm-hmm. and they talk about them being emotional. They absorb the emotions around them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Like everybody... They internalize. Yeah. Everybody absorbs the emotion of a room. And so just being the most stable place for those children, a safe place to land. Because as they're growing, they're not resilient. They're just, they're getting formed by the situation that they're in and they're growing up and they're becoming, you know, the person and entering society from what they were given as a child. Mm -hmm. And so the stories in the book of, you know, a shooting at the school or it's like these children, like, they're absorbing it and, like, 
Yeah. It's just, it's so crazy, and as a mom, and seeing that. Well, I was impacted when they talked about the importance of babies immediately absorbing safety in the feeling of just being held. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I thought about Lynette because she was adopted, but she wasn't placed in her adopted home until she was 10 months old. And I wondered throughout her life how that impacted her, how if it changed the way she felt security, if it changed the way she felt about herself. I, I kind of look back and I don't know, what do you think? I know that you just don't feel like you belong. That's not anything anybody can change for you. But you found your belonging family. Yeah. I have to confess. I couldn't read the book. Wait. Triggering for me. Yeah. I couldn't do it. I tried. I finally had it done and said I can't do it. I started having nightmares. I told on on the way here. Maybe if I had gone counseling when I was little, I would know how to handle it. But I spent a lifetime burying the shit, and it all started coming back. I started to have nightmares again. I see the importance of knowing why my brain works the way it does, but me because I'm old, I don't care. That was my take. Yeah. Yeah. That I mean, that's completely understandable. Very understandable. Yeah. It's if there are things that you've experienced in your life that you have buried like you said and and not been able to process because you didn't have the safe space to process it then to have that come up now it can be a lot that's overwhelming yeah i think i got the first chapter read Mm -hmm. i should said the book may be very triggering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I'll just take it so I can do this. Totally. I don't condone, and I don't believe that hiding from it is the right thing. But being older, I think it was for me. I went to a safe place. And I refuse to repeat it, you know? So it stopped. Yeah. And I think that's good. Yeah. Like you you broke a cycle. Yeah. But you put what you had experienced, like you you didn't revisit that or process it. You're just like, I'm out. Yeah. And you didn't didn't repeat it, but there's like... 
I didn't really deal with it. Yeah. Mm -mm. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing that I, like, when you read the book, you realize that, like, every system we have set up in our society exasperates the problems. Yeah. And no one really knows, like, I mean, people do, like, they're scientists. There are people who are studying this. But, like, the the systems in general, like, don't know how to create safe spaces Mm -hmm. or, like, don't know how to help us process this. Is it that they don't know or that they refuse to? Probably because both. I think this is like what was crazy to me is he, so he's uh, he's he becomes a psychologist in the eighties, right? Like mm-hmm. like that's like when he started. So this man has been studying trauma for forty years, yeah. And then he wrote this book, and so I think that is what was mind blowing to me. I'm like, actually, there are people yeah. who who do know these things, and there are advocates for these types of things but I think that the system relies on the brokenness of of those in order to continue going like does that make sense yeah yeah like I I was very disappointed in the criminal justice system Mm -hmm. in the school system Mm -hmm. in yeah like especially the education system where it's like Oh, this is this would be really helpful for children that come from hard homes mm-hmm. um, that might not have that regulation at home to practice to have safe spaces and for for teachers to understand them, but instead they're going they're getting more. And I don't know that that could be. They call it, he in the book he refers it to the school to prison pipeline. Yeah, mm. he refers it to that because. Because we don't know what to do with these children, and so we're treating them as they're bad. And so they're receiving more and more punishment. Mm-hmm. And so in these, especially in harder areas, that's why they're they're funneled right through the system. And he refers to it as the school, the prison pipeline. Yeah. yeah. But you think that it's all about the money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you have the money, you're in the better school system. And you have counseling. Mm-hmm. Well, that's where the problems are. They're in the poor people that we don't have the money to fix our problems. Yeah. Well, not only that, I think we come from a generation that we just don't talk about it. Yeah. Children are to be seen and not heard. It, it just basically is swept under the rug. And so it feels so good to be sitting amongst women right now talking mm-hmm. about things. And so Oprah talked a lot about generational trauma and yeah. how what happened to you happened to your mother, happened to her mother, and yep. so on. And and I mentioned earlier about uh, my mother and how she was very hostile and abusive. And I've had a lot of anger towards her for the last couple of years because um, my dad recently passed away, and so it brought up a lot of my childhood memories. Yeah. Kind of like Lynette was saying, like, I moved on, I moved out, and I put it away. Yeah. And then my father died, and I had to spend some time with my mother that I didn't spend before, maybe just a visit here, a couple days there. But I spent a lot of very intimate, long periods of time with her, and it was incredibly hard to get through that because I felt like I was in fifth grade again, and it was Christmas break, and I just walked in the door, and my mom's already yelling and screaming. Like, all of those terrible memories came back to me. So no matter how far down you put them, eventually I feel like they come out. And so it's taken two years for me to get where I am right now Mm -hmm. and now I'm starting to say okay what happened to my mother 
and I've got to forgive her. Yeah. It's a long road. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I like what you said, even if you try to put it behind you, it comes up. But reading in the book, you realize, oh, it's not like it's something that is put away and that might eventually come up. Mm-hmm. It is actively on a daily basis Every driving day. you. It's your mm-hmm. it's how your brain functions. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. you you are set up to be the most efficient human, and your yes. brain is so incredibly smart. It takes the most efficient path yes. every time. Mm. So when you've trained your path to go shut down, to hide, or to find that comfort, you're going to do it every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you will follow that path every time until you make those new paths. Yes. Well, yes. until you learn how to regulate, right? Mm-hmm. I would love to spend some time talking about regulating. Oh, that was my to... other favorite part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's so helpful. Real quick, Dolly, I just wanted to say, the mom guilt, like, reading this, mm-hmm. oh, man, that is oh. real. That's a real. I was reading it, and I was like, like, as I'm reading, I'm, like, flashbacking to the time that I, like, just lost my cool with River because I couldn't I couldn't find something, you know, and I'm just like, you, where'd you put it? You put it somewhere, you know, and I'm yelling. Then I found it, and it was somewhere that I had put it. And I, like, you know, like, these little moments where, like, because I wasn't regulating myself, but I'm in charge of raising these human beings, mm-hmm. and then I end up dysregulating them, and, like, and so now, you know, when mom raises her voice or when mom makes that look, like, they do that shortcut that efficiency to like mm, protect themselves mm-hmm. and I, I'm not an abusive mom <laughs> but some like no. when you're reading this you're just like I'm the worst mom you know like no it, it's it, a lot of pressure there there's simple things like you see and it's like we do this thing and we really try and like with Hollis you know if we're all having a moment or if he's having a moment it's like okay bud we need to stop and we need to breathe yeah and it's the most tender thing, and he will stop, and he'll take a breath. And he breathes. And it's so cute, and he, <laughs> and I see it regulating for him, and yeah. his positive moments. And then in some moments, it breaks my heart, because I'll be mad, and he'll take a breath. Yeah. Oh, he breathes for you. <laughs> because they try, and like, really, yeah. they... It's that emotionally contagious, and he yeah. talks about catching the calm, yeah. and somebody has to be the calm. Yeah. And it's like you teach him these <laughs> these tools, and he's teaching you, but it's like we have to be these stable people. Like, these children are so valuable, and, like, yeah. they'll catch all of your emotions, and you yeah. see them. Yeah. You see them just learning in every instance. Yeah. I've said once, I've said it a million times, I've learned far more from my kids than I ever yeah. taught them hands down yeah but mom guilt is real and it never goes away i don't care if you're 90 <laughs> years old this room grandma guilt mom guilt just turns into grandma yeah. guilt we, we sit on the back porch a lot and chit chat my family my adult kids and of course what do you do you talk about old stories and i always like i don't remember that i don't remember that and uh, then they say something i did that hurt their feelings like oh yeah i remember that <laughs> yeah you oh, like all as, the guilt. as the mom, you don't remember the funny things, but you remember, like you hold yourself extra accountable yeah. for the times you mess up. Which, you know, kind of leads into something that was um, so strong for me. Well, brain development is a real thing. That was just like okay, and and learning how the brain, almost like a computer. It's like okay, so you're given like a program, and then like that's how your brain runs. It's like okay, that's the data. Like that's like how it's stored. And he shares, uh, Dr. Bruce Perry shares a story where he's in a 
uh, airport terminal and the plane keeps on getting delayed. And mm-hmm. there's a young couple, they have like a two or three year old uh, daughter and they're just doing the best that they can to, and I'm sure we can, we all know, yeah. or I'm sure moms have experienced it with littles in the airport. It's never a, a easy peasy moment, but there was a businessman and he was just audibly huffing and puffing every single time the flight was like delayed. So he, the, the Dr. Bruce Perry was getting annoyed at this man and, and he had this internal belief that like hoity-toity businessman almost. He's yeah, like this entitled man thinks that he's so important or whatever. And every single time that the gentleman huffed or made a sound, it reinforced Dr. Bruce Perry's belief that yeah. this man was like a pompous asshole essentially but this young little girl notices him kind of making a a mess of Mm. things and she goes over to him and he's reading a newspaper and she keeps on popping his newspaper and Mm. and because because he says that her internal belief was that man is good and so she's like has no reason to believe that this man is a problem or whatever and eventually she like pops his newspaper again and the therapist thought that he was going to watch this man come uncorked. But instead, the man smiled with the little girl. And he said, which then further enforced her belief that man yeah. is good. Yeah. And then, and then you know, the story goes on that this businessman actually gets down on the floor, hands and knees, suit and all, and is playing with this girl. Yeah. So this brain development, how it enforces our own beliefs, but it was with, you know, my yoga and all of this learning with, like trauma is how it's stored in the body. And so like how it comes up from like these really young things. So I I guess what I'm trying to say is that we have these impressions and then what we do with that impression, if we don't look at, if we don't look at our impressions and question why we have them, we just further find more evidence. So if we believe that we're a piece of shit we will continuously find evidence to reinforce that belief. And the only way to stop that belief is to look at why do I think that I'm a piece of shit and then starting to reinforce like, no, I am good. And when you start to make that switch, your brain collects more evidence, almost like if you want a computer to run differently, you have to wipe the program and re-download a new one or something, you know. And and I kind of liked that where, Yeah. yeah, I guess like where trauma is stored in the body and like that. Yeah, the working through the emotions with brain development um, and how we find evidence in what our beliefs are. Yeah. I, that I liked that story because it reminded me that people are genuinely good. Mm-hmm. And I try to find the good in people. When, when my husband and I, we lived in Montana for a while and his boss put on a seminar every month for the husbands and wives. And he told this story. I'll never forget. We're really it stayed with me. And he told a story about a man who was on the subway late at night and his he had three or four little kids and they were just going crazy on the subway. And everyone else is like, I mean, it's, you got to get these kids calmed down. They're being out of control. And the dad was basically zoomed out, had nothing to do with them. And they just couldn't get over his lack of parenting. And so somebody finally said something to him like, are you going to take care of your kids? And he said, I'm sorry, we just left the hospital. My wife just passed away. I was like, you don't know what people are going through. Yeah. 
And we just have to be kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we talk about regulating for just a minute? Yes, because I, I loved that. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's like one of the most helpful things. So if we, you know, if we have these these experiences in our life that are traumatizing for us or like even with looking at like mom guilt like understanding the regulating piece I think is like maybe one of the most helpful yeah along with the fact that like Dolly said our brains are malleable so like the plasticity of our brain like we don't have to be we don't have to be one way for the rest Mm -hmm. of our life we can reprogram right right and so how like how do we regulate Mm, um were there parts you know, in those chapters that were things, t- takeaways you guys got from that, like, okay, well, like, what do we do? Like, instead of just feeling like, I am a piece of crap, mom, I lose my cool all the time. Like, how do we regulate ourselves? How do we help others regulate as well? Well, one of the first things they talked about in the book was rhythm. Yeah. And I am not a rhythm person. I don't do music. I can't sing. I watch my son play guitar. I'm like, how did you learn to do that? <laughs> And so I felt really detached from what they were going to say right away. Like, ah, I'm not a rhythm person. And as they started talking about different ways rhythm balances you, they kind of talked about the mountains. And I thought, wow, here's that mountain piece. When my dad passed away, I just went to the mountains. And I listened to the wind blow the trees. And it was soothing, and it was a rhythm. And I sat by a river, and I listened to the water, and the rhythm of the water. And I looked at the mountains, and I could see the different waves and highs and lows. That was my rhythm. So it was not the rhythm that you might think, mm-hmm. but that was my rhythm. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And then say the part about... And the babies are rocking. Oh, yes. <laughs> so my first grandson was born running. <laughs> he, this little guy never stopped, and we knew that right away. So um, he kind of had a little tummy aches, and we would soothe him, and we would get him to calm down, but it was not, it wasn't a soft, cuddly. It was balancing him from one end of the ceiling to the other end of the ceiling, like bending knees up in the air. Like, I think that's why we all have bad knees. Because <laughs> <laughs> we had to rock river. Yeah, it was like I a very, my, his uncle would like bounce him, like basically from one knee to the ground, up the other knee down to the ground, that kid. His rhythm was go hard, go fast, go strong. Mm-hmm. And that's who he is as a seven-year-old boy. He's go hard, go strong, go fast. Yeah. So our rhythms are all different. I loved when Oprah shared the story of, or I guess how she loves to regulate is a walk through Mm -hmm. the trees or, you know, outside. And that reminded me of grounding, like how you're going outside and you're feeling the earth and you're seeing these beauties. And for me, that is that's one of the best ways for me to regulate is to go out and get on the ground. Like, you know, I'll get barefoot, I'll stand in the sun or I'll, you know, lay in the grass or something. And that for me is very calm. I enjoy 
if I had to be a body of water, I would be like a slow, steady stream or like a very deep well. And that's how I want to regulate. I want to be slow. I need to, I need things to slow down. I need chaos to quiet. And my husband is, he's like, I got to go for a run. Like he wants like a faster, yeah. like, yeah. you know, movement. Um, but this regulation, it was it, you know, rhythm is not just music. It, it, they were describing all of these things, like your breath, mm-hmm. or Oprah talks about the heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. felt like you were going to say something, though, Dolly. Oh, I just think it's funny that the walks and everything keeps coming up. Um, because even with both my babies, if they're crying, and I thought it was just me, and I thought it was just my babies, and then you see it come up time and time again. I even saw, like, a Facebook post about it, and is if your baby's upset two things that always like can't fail you is take them outside mm-hmm. or put them in the water a bath yeah. or walking outside with them yeah. and that's how we roll at our house like we will reset with a bath or mm-hmm. every night if we go on a walk like yeah. that's our routine and it's just become part of our routine and I think I realize like it's it's our like safe space like we go on a walk, and whether it's chaos, chaos at the house or whatever, we go on our walk, and everybody recenters themselves. Yeah, it's like this little piece of magic, and it's, yes, yeah. and I think it's just like the calmness of you know being outside in the air, yeah. and and whatever pace that is. If Hollis is on his bike and he's zooming, you know, sure. he's getting out that energy and he's going at his fast pace, or you know. I will be like she's just her tiny little baby and she can be worked up but as soon as we get in that stroller and we're walking instantly yeah. soothing wow. it's it's magical and like you see that nature and that outside come up over and over again yeah it's crazy do we tend to connect more where we're, when we're outside yes I wonder our family does yeah <laughs> I wonder if that's normal for most families I don't know well I think it is because there are like natural things like water there are like chemical properties within water that like helps equalize you know ions within our own bodies and like the earth is a negative ion and we produce positive ions and like when there's too much like you can actually equalize chemically like what's yeah. going on in yeah. your body and how about the sun too they talk about mm, vitamin yeah. D mm-hmm. and how much the yeah. sun helps you and yeah yeah and Annette, maybe you have done more of this than you think because you walk around barefoot everywhere yeah <laughs> yeah yeah like I wonder if that is just like some crazy like intuitive thing where you're just like I just need to like feel my feet on the ground, you know. And I think about that. I used to shower more, but I've always been bigger. Yeah. Yeah. And yes, you have. And now with the disease, I cannot shower. It don't bug me not one. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, it's fine, put me in a hot tub. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So one of the reasons why I really liked this book is because, well, I'm in therapy. That's not a surprise to anybody. It falls in line really well with what I'm learning from my therapist and like what we've learned from Annie, who's mm-hmm. my friend, who's a therapist also. And I like how they talk in the book like, okay, so let's say you're having an argument with somebody. Mm-hmm. That has triggered, like, your, oh, this is a threatening situation, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so you cannot reason with somebody. Like, all of our reasoning is in our... Frontal cortex. Yeah. And so 
you cannot reason with somebody like when you're like you there's you cannot say the perfect thing that's going to make them understand your point of or view or tell them to calm down oh i will show you calm down like <laughs> it does right like it and so i really like how they talk in here like when when somebody is upset or when you're upset or you're in a conversation with someone's upset or you're both upset like you have to calm yourself down first like you have to get to a place where you feel seen and heard and safe before you can like finish your conversation. Find resolve. Resolve. Yeah. Okay. I do want you to share the Oprah story that stuck out to you though. It's crazy. Oprah's perspective in this book is very humbling. Yeah. And she really opens up in this book yes. about her personal experience. Mm-hmm. And there's multiple times in the book that it comes up. She talks about this man that had come out of prison and she asked him, did you feel loved? And he doesn't really answer the question. She goes, and it took me some time to realize, but if someone asked me that question, no, I did not grow up feeling loved. And it's extremely sad. And she shares this story where she's in a movie set and she's the mom or the Uh grandma. And they say, hey, Oprah, okay, in this scene, I need you to tuck in Annie or whatever the little kid's name is. And she's like, okay. I'll go tuck her in. And she walks around the bed and she folds and she tucks the sheets underneath the bed. And he's like, no, Oprah, I want you to, I want you to tuck her into bed. So she's like, okay, I'll redo this. And she tucks her, tucks the sheets around the little girl. And he goes, I don't want you to make the bed. I want you to (laughs) tuck in the child. And she goes, it broke my heart because I realized I didn't know what that Mm -hmm. meant. And I had to ask the director what does it mean to tuck in a child? You just feel these things like, and I have like the chills as I'm reading it and I'm like tearing up because these children don't know and you are shaping their world, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. they are just the product of their environment. And these children, again, are so malleable and they become what their environment is. And, um, we need to be more empathetic to where these children are coming from. Mm-hmm. And that word just came up for me over and over again is, is empathy mm-hmm. and understanding because we don't know mm-hmm. where anybody's come from. We don't know their story. We don't know what happened to them. Mm-hmm. And that question is like, I love that that's the name of the book because it's really what comes up every time. Like, why? Like, what happened to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have this girl that I work with, and she's in a leadership position. And she is very aggressive. She's a go-getter. She's a hard worker. But she always tends to travel outside of her lane. She's always taking care of everybody else's problems or issues. And she kind of gets off focus of what she's responsible for personally because she's very frequently worried about what everybody else should be worried about. And it's kind of bothersome to some of the other leaders in the building. And one day I was having lunch with her, and she told me the story of how she grew up. Her parents divorced early, and she was the oldest child, and her mom would then go out on dates after the kids would be in bed or even right after she got from school. She basically raised her brothers and sisters. So she was always out of her lane. She couldn't ever focus on herself because she was always worried about taking care of other people, making sure they were doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. It's given me so much empathy for her. When I see her do this, I just, I know that's who she is at her core. And I try to share that with other people. Like, you just have to be empathetic. Like, you don't know 
where she's been and what she's been through. And I mean, it's pretty evident, but just appreciate that she's doing what she's doing for you, I guess, even though sometimes it's kind of hard to wrap your fingers around. Just let me be myself. Let me do my right. own thing. But that's what, that's all she knows. I think right. it comes back to what Krista said is like, there's all these negative behaviors that we associate with people as like annoying or bad. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's really just them regulating themselves. So like the girls that are daydreaming and they've, you know, told them this is how they regulate because they have, this is a tool that they need at home to disassociate themselves from the chaos. Yep. Yeah. Daydreaming is not a bad, you Mm -hmm. know, quality Mm -hmm. that they have. It's Mm -hmm. actually something that is protective tool for them and understanding that these like negative things that people bring up, anger or, you know, like the ADHD children that can't, you know, focus or all these things that we've labeled as negative that are actually like these tools that have helped keep these children alive and functioning and healthy and happy. Yeah. That's why I have always loved that quote by Maya Angela. It starts something, but ends with, when I knew better, I did better. Yeah. But I think it's our responsibility to do better, like to be empathetic, Mm -hmm. even if we don't know the story. Yeah. It's on us. Right. Yeah. Our kindness and our goodness is ours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's a big, like a big takeaway from the book too, is that like, we're all just projecting onto other people. And so like, you can only control yourself, right? And I think that, like, when you start to look at your own reactions or, like, you know, having, you know, holding your own responsibility, you start to see people in those moments. Like, I used to be, like, so mad at someone losing their crap or whatever, but because I wasn't centered in who I am and, like, my own regulating skills were off, right? And so, I don't know, I guess it just maybe exactly what Dalton is saying. It just opens up your eyes to have more empathy to others and wondering the things that they have been through to drive them to, and you know, you're just witnessing these moments and we judge people on these, on these bad moments. You hear a lot. You made me or you did this. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, I react in my own way. Yeah. It wasn't your fault that I did that. It's my fault. Yeah. Right. Yeah, taking that accountability. Yeah. Okay, so I found this part. So in the book on page 143, um, he talks about getting to the cortex. So getting to the place where you can communicate rationally with somebody. Mm. So if the person is regulated, you can connect with them in ways that will facilitate a rational communication. But if they're dysregulated, nothing you say will get to their cortex and nothing already in their cortex will be easy for them to access. So that was the other thing. So Mm. it's like, it's a blocked off, right? So like, even if you are a reasonable person, you can't even access your reasoning because you're dysregulated. And so he says, regulation is the key to creating safe connection. 
So like if connection and community, which is one of the ways we regulate, right? So having a safe community or having somebody, which I'm going to make you tell that story. I know you already, I'll, I'll tell you in a second. But like having a safe community is a way, somebody who you can like kind of talk to or relate to or feel seen or feel heard or feel valued, that's a way to get regulated, right? You were telling me you love how, when uh, Oprah was talking about her relationship with Gail. Well, I'm going to cry again. You guys just you fall through this whole third thing. Yeah, so, I'm sorry. Oprah said that she talks to Gail every single day. They live on separate coasts. They're very, very busy. They're in high-profile careers. But every day for years and years and years, they have had conversations with each other. And they microdose therapy. Like, a little bit here, a little bit there. Maybe something big happened to them. And they, little bit by little bit, share these experiences with one another rather than going through a therapist, not either one of them has seen a therapist. And she said that because she had Gail as a friend, she felt like she was able to regulate her life's trauma through this friend. And I underlined all of it and I sent it to Lynette because we've been best friends since we were little. And I think we both have been through some pretty traumatic things off and on through our life that probably most people don't experience. And neither one of us have seen a therapist, but I've always said I feel like we were each other's therapists because we've been able to microdose our little therapy sessions all the time, no matter where we lived or how far apart we were. Yeah, yeah I love how she talked about that, like the when you can bring it up on your own and you mm-hmm. can you can say the part that you want to say instead of feeling like pressured or like mm-hmm. you have to tell me all the details. But like when you can just like, yeah, this happened today. It made me kind of feel uncomfortable. And, and somebody like hears that, I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, you're uncomfortable. Like, yeah. Well, how was your day? Like, when you can, like, come at it at your own pace, then that actually helps you process it. When you have a safe person that you can bring, like, your little moments to and just process it at your own pace, and then, yeah. And, like, you guys have been regulating each other this whole time, and you didn't even know it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I always tease. I, I say that I think that we know more about each other than our husbands know about us. Because when we want to talk to our husbands about something, they want to fix it right now for us. Oh, and we feel really agitated. Like, I don't need you to fix it. I need you to listen. listen. And Lynette listens very well. I tend to get a little bit more passionate when she tells me things. But <laughs> she listens very well. And I can just say what I want without worrying about that she's going to try to fix it for me. Yeah. yeah. I don't love Kevin. And I can never put finger on my... I love the mountains. I love that air. I love that all. But I hate the word, let's go camping. Hate it. And I don't know if you even remember when my family would go camping, they would put me in the camper. And I was molested every time I went to camper. And so I learned to hate camping, but never put two and two together. And I texted Dawn, I'm like, this is why I hate that word. To this day, I hate it. But it was good to have that realization 
and good to have someone to tell to because I needed them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of a release. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I agree. Oh, so like instead of feeling like, oh, I don't know what's wrong with me. Like everyone oh, in my family yes. loves to go camping. and just like, I don't yeah. know why. Like I just. I hate that word. Yeah. Sometimes saying it to someone else, regardless how they react, is just validating. Yeah. And they just listen. You just feel validated. Like, okay, yeah. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, All right, that's check, why. After reading this book, what is one thing, if you had a magic wand and you could implement one thing after having this knowledge, like what would you, what would you do to change our complex problems we, we have as a society? But Yeah, I'll start. Say. I'd attack the education system. Yeah. I would go into the schools because I think that resources matter and, well, a lot of underprivileged children statistically don't move on into college and to these other courses. And for me, uh, a lot of my knowledge does not come from pre-K to uh, high school. It comes from my college and beyond. And I think that we're doing a really big disservice to our children in society. Yeah, I would I would, I would aim straight for the school systems. That's, yeah. that's one change I would Like what kinds of things, like smaller classrooms or mm. more counselors on hand or like just a different, like uh, like if somebody yeah. gets in trouble having a completely different system, like... Well, I'm sure that I've said this before. What I would do is what are we teaching in school? Why are we not teaching children mm-hmm. relationship things? Like why, why does being a good friend matter? Why mm-hmm. does saying sorry and taking accountability matter in relationships? Mm-hmm. How do you regulate an emotion? What is that? Why are we not teaching children mm-hmm. how to physically regulate emotions? Did, Why? Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Discipline in schools. Mm-hmm. Not discipline because to do right from wrong. And there was a school, I don't know where it is. But they did yoga instead mm. of discipline. Oh, instead so like of detention. detention. And then cut way back. Yeah. Yeah, they, um, yeah, think, actually. Is this in Chicago? Yeah, in, yeah. in, um, yeah. in Detroit. Maybe. I think it was, like, they went into, they went into the school that was statistically the least successful. And they changed how they disciplined. So they taught breathwork, mudras, which are hand shapes, like bringing your index finger to your thumb, which actually, it taps into certain things in like your nervous system. And they would teach them chanting, meditation, and yoga to create movement within their bodies. And so instead of, they would say, hey, you just need to go to, they called it something like a, like a connection room or something like that. Zen den. Yeah, the Zen den, exactly. Wildly, within one year, like let's say their school's percentage rate was 7%, within one year it was up to like 80%. Like it was oh, graduation substantial rate, yeah. amounts wow. of, of, of change. Um, where you're teaching children that there's nothing innately wrong with you. Like yeah. that, right. that's like the, the thing, yeah. right? So, well, first of all, there's a lot of movements. If you're, you're local, there is... You know, a local program in Utah County that is starting to enmesh in the school programs. They're teaching, they're teaching yoga and meditation. So yeah, like teaching, uh, changing the discipline, changing the curriculum, 
changing mm-hmm. the structure of it. Um, yeah. The lecture system doesn't work. You don't learn when yeah. you're sitting no. down. Yeah. Well, and the testing. They talk about the movement, and you right. learn when you're moving. And right. You learn, when you learn best is mm-hmm. not sitting down at a desk listening yeah. to somebody talk. Well, was this in the book uh, that they talk about? They say they asked, I might be getting two books. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but they say like in first grade, how many people are are artists? And like 99% of the room raises their hand. And then in fourth grade, how many of you are artists? And then only 80%. And then you get into seventh grade. One percent of children yeah, like no. raise their hands and and like like children or, not taught to be well when you crush children when you crush that creativity and you t- and you teach this machine mechanism and, and and you know and it goes to show uh high testing schools get more funding think, yeah. um and so so we, I mean I remember being in school being like you guys have to test better you have to like so like all of that so everything everything about this education system. That's my one change. Yeah. Anyways. So having like a trauma-informed scientist mm-hmm. help write the system, like how yes. we do it, like how, how it's um, lined up, how we maneuver through the day as young children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I have two things. One of the most important things we could do as a nation is a create a better health care system for yeah. our young children so that all young children have access to health care and mental health care, which yeah. is part of health care. And I feel like if we do a little bit of police reform and take some of that money that goes to these fancy smanchy police cars and all these other programs, put that money into the schools and give them some therapy, then as these students get older and run into more problems, they're not going to have the problems with the police department that we see yeah. now. So yeah. to me, it's all about politics and coming together and solving the problem, not just being my team, your team, but really trying to find solutions through politics. Yeah. Well, I want to I want to jump on the back of that, too, where it's like, yes, being political, but like also where it's informed people having the conversations. Yeah. We're not listening to Joe Schmo, yeah. who's just saying something. It's like, oh, no, actually, here is a healthcare professional mm-hmm. who, you know, has this license and these certifications that are being the speakers not letting educated people make educated decisions that give us all an advantage yes especially our young children i agree Mm -hmm. amen mine kind of ties into that because my magic wand is like more wealth equality and this comes from another book it's actually um, a malcolm gladwell book but he there's a story of when you are successful at a certain um income and $70,000 a year like (laughs) your um household needs this um and like so not only I feel like if these children could have access to this and their communities had access to this for you know so households could be more stable yeah and but then also the school system itself has more funding so that these children have access exactly the other one for me was this healthcare and that mental yeah. health care was implemented as part of health care. Yeah. And in this book, he directly talks about how the communities that need mental health care are the communities that don't have it. Yeah, and yeah the marginalized. Yeah. It's marginalized, and it's because it's almost like if you get therapy, like, you're you're rich. It's like you have it's some like kind of disposable income. But think yeah, about exactly, that. because it, it's expensive, and yeah. it's not covered by, you know, mm-hmm. this... Mm-hmm. 
hundred dollars an hour who has that with insurance yeah let's think about what generational trauma does to generations know what would generational therapy do to generations Mm -hmm. so i think i mean my magic wand is you know spreading the wealth i mean whatever i'll be aoc and say tax the rich on my (laughs) dress too yeah yeah um but i just think that like these communities yeah does somebody need to go to space or do these need communities need some funding where these kids can go to school yeah. and eat and yeah. not be at school mm-hmm. hungry and be able to focus mm-hmm. and be yeah. able to thrive and learn mm-hmm. and yeah. mm-hmm. in this new school system that Shelby's created <laughs> and yeah. you know well, the thing about a child that could come to school and expel some of his trauma to somebody who he trusts yeah and now it's that check check I can move on and he can learn and he can be that he can be more in tune with what the teacher's doing instead of being all yeah. encompassed and, with mm-hmm. the trauma that well, he just because, left at home. I'm sorry. And you know, like you think about it, it's like these teachers almost like are therapists to these uh-huh. students, mm-hmm. and they need the education to be mm-hmm. able to do that. And somebody has to pay for this, and like uh-huh. teachers have to be paid because if you want the quality teachers to be in the room with your children, teaching mm-hmm. your children these most important things about life and the lessons that they need to learn about life that they're not getting from home because that's a problem right everybody goes oh we won't teach sex education or we won't do this because they need to learn it in their home yeah some children don't learn these Mm. powerful powerful tools at home and that's where you're seeing like these things is these children are coming out of homes that are not stable and they need a safe space to land and having you know whether it's school or whatever that is, my magic place is like this perfect little mm-hmm. land, fairy land that they can go and land and talk to these. Yeah. Everybody is like, you have to take care of yourself, and like these children can't take care of yeah. themselves. Mm-hmm. And in the book, when it says that their environment is what's regulating them, they don't have the parent that's regulating them. They don't have the home or the food mm-hmm. or the emotional uh, s- emotional stability. stability to regulate themselves yeah. and. Mm-hmm we don't have the systems to support that and they they need help and it's you know saying fend for yourself is Mm -hmm. like isn't isn't doing it isn't it it's not oh saying fend for yourself is getting us exactly where we are today where you have all these traumatized divided these traumatized children who have grown up into adults who are like now raising children yelling Mm -hmm. at the waitress (laughs) right yeah right right you know so something that this is just making that's sparking is i'm just realizing that we have to meet humans' needs. Yes. Mm-hmm. Needs have to be mm-hmm. met. So in, in in all things, and and we're keeping these um, regulated needs away. So, like, when when a school is underfunded and a teacher is underpaid and, like, like those needs are not being met, therefore we're perpetuating trauma. Yeah. And so in order to work on and change these things we have to be regulated and the only way to be regulated is when your needs are met yeah when you're not in survival fight or flight mode yeah sorry survival mode is the same yeah Yeah. it breaks my heart i can't even like this the whole book is so extremely heavy like yeah it really is it just like breaks my heart over and over again Mm -hmm. and i think the reality is that like we just it's we need to focus on other people like, we yeah. need to focus on making sure that these little kids are taken care of. Yeah. yeah. We need to fold those on the outside, and we need to bring them into the center. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything on I thought this believed knowledge is power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and not necessarily book knowledge. Like this discussion, we have knowledge. It's up to us to make it happen. Yeah. Not just talk about it. Mm-hmm. We have to go to the grocery store and smile at people. Mm-hmm. We have to be kind. It's mm-hmm. up so to us now. Yeah. And as we go along, share that knowledge. Yeah. And someday, God willing, the whole world will have that knowledge. Yeah. yeah. I love that you said that because one of my most favorite things I say in the book, Dr. Perry says it, he says, something to the effect that like, oh, we think that love is a feeling, but love is action. Mm-hmm. Love is action. And I feel like, yeah, that's very profound. It goes along with what you said. Well, all of the things that I wanted to, that I like if I had my magic wand, I would change the school system, I would change the healthcare system, and I would spread the wealth. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I think the one, the one other thing that we haven't mentioned that I feel like, okay, like I guess this is what's left is you can't pour from an empty cup. And like you said, like, you know, when, when as a parent, as somebody who's in the, in the community, as we're bumping against other people, like, we get dysregulated ourselves. And so doing that thing we need to do to take care of ourselves mm. so that we aren't going into the community and, like, causing this disruption and dysregulation, you know? So, like, maybe that's self-care. Maybe that's, like, finding the, finding the thing that helps regulate you. Okay, like, I know sitting in the grass helps me. I know going for a drive in the mountain helps me. Like doing, like taking the actual action and doing the thing we need to do for ourselves. It feels hard. It feels selfish. It feels embarrassing to like, that's funny. That word came up again. That word comes up a lot for me. I feel embarrassed a lot about my own feelings. Maybe not everybody feels that way, but sometimes I feel like we could think that it's embarrassing to ask for what we need. You know, like that we should just be able to pull ourselves up from our bootstraps and just handle it, you know, but we can't mm-hmm. um, and we need to to be regulated and be centered within ourselves. And so I guess like if I had a magic wand, I'd just be like, we would all be self-care queens and we would do the thing that we need to do to like help regulate ourselves. So as we enter into these these groups of people that, you know, as we enter into our community, we we can be an observer mm-hmm. and ask the right questions, ask what happened to you instead of what's wrong with you. Yeah, and be somebody who can feel empathy for other people because we, in and of ourselves, know that we are perfect exactly as we are. I I love the idea of a book club. This is not the last time we're going to do a book club. We're going to keep reading. We're going to keep learning and expanding and having yes. these conversations because I think the most powerful thing, the most powerful thing we can do as women when we get together instead of you know, talking about each other or talking about our diets, if we could talk about complex problems, I mean, we are the ones, like, hands-on, doing the dishes, driving them to school, doing the pickup, do, like, we're doing all of the things. Like, we, we, we see how this system is working. We see yeah. how it's great. We see how it's not. And so, like, when we come together as women and we talk about complex problems and we bring, like, our, our creative solutions to the table, like, we will change the world. Yes, we've, um...
We just want to share a big thank you to everybody who helped make this episode possible. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Drop into our DMs. You can find us on Instagram at I totally relate pod. Or you can share your feedback and insights with us at I totally relate pod at gmail.com. We totally want to get to know you. See you next time. Peace out.